0: back to to Connection Point Church Online as we continue our series on Love Your Neighbor. And today we want to continue that conversation with how do we love our LGBTQ neighbor. And uh, the reason we wanted to cover that topic today, we'd initially, as we put this series together, what would have been last fall, talked about doing that a little bit later in the series, but with how everything has unfolded and and where we're at today and knowing that kids are going to join us next week for Family Church Sundays, we felt like while we're still online and doing the online campus that we'd like to have this conversation so that families and parents could self-select whether or not they wanted their children to be a part of the conversation today. Uh, Maybe they want to watch this conversation first. Maybe you want to do that and then play it back later to be able to, to have that conversation with your kids. Or maybe they're at an age where you feel like you want to have that conversation later. Uh, But whatever you choose to do, I I would encourage you as both your pastor and as a parent, have this conversation with your kids. You need to be talking about these things in your home. Because if you're not, someone is. And and you're going to want to be the person that's helping to inform uh, this conversation with your kids through a biblical worldview. And, And so that would be my encouragement. So no matter when you do it or how you do it, just do it. And, and I will leave that up to you to, to do that. Uh, it was interesting, so Shelly and I have been going through some of the content that, that Linda shares who we're going to hear from today, and uh, does a great job of explaining everything kind of around this, this topic, and, and so we were listening to that, and, and actually it was while we were driving to and from Cincinnati this past week to visit with Shelly's parents, and and uh, so then it was just on in the car, and, and so it was neat that our oldest, Nate, who's going into eighth grade, he said, I really want to be there this morning to hear from Linda in person, and, and so my kids are all here today. So parents, I just encourage you, have that conversation. Uh, but today what we want to talk about is how do we love our LGBTQ neighbor, and, and it's a good conversation to have. And so today we've got with us Linda Seiler, um, who does, uh, has both a personal story to share uh, but then wonderful information to give us on how do we do that well. And and part of this is to say we can have these conversations. So, so let's make sure we do that. Um, but maybe what I'd like to start with, Linda, is just to share a bit of your story. Um, and then we'll share kind of a little bit of the scholarship now behind your story, too.
1: Sure. Uh, thanks for having me today. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Uh, my story is that from my earliest recollection, I wanted to be a boy instead of a girl. And this was back in the 1970s. So uh, nobody was talking about these issues back then. I didn't even know what it was called. Um, So, you know, I was a real tomboy. I think my parents just thought I was a tomboy kid that would grow out of it. A lot of girls do. Um, But for me, it was like this obsession Mm -hmm. that I felt like a little boy trapped in a girl body. And Mm -hmm. I was consumed with like, man, I want to have male genitalia and all of that. And so as I grew up... um, around fourth grade, when I was nine years old, I heard about sex change operations hmm. and I thought, oh man, that, that's, you can do that. Like you can literally have an operation and become the opposite sex. I, I had no idea what was involved with oh, that, <laughs> uh, hormones and counseling, all that. But, um, anyway, I just thought, man, if you can do that, that's what I want. So hmm. I made that kind of the goal of my life. As soon as I'm old enough, have hmm. enough money, I'll change my name to David and live happily ever after, get the sex change. Um, And then uh, when I was in junior high and all the girls around me were kind of, you know, blossoming into womanhood, experimenting with uh, wanting to date boys and, you know, wear makeup and all that stuff, I despised that world. I did Mm. not want anything to do with that. Mm. I found myself intensely jealous of the boys around me whose Mm. voices were changing and they were becoming everything I wanted to be. And around that time, I discovered I was attracted to women instead of men, Hmm. uh, which to me was horrifying. At first, I didn't really understand what was going on. And then when I figured it out, I thought, oh, no, because, again, this was the 80s and nobody talks about those things. And so I just felt uh, just really confused and alone and depressed. I was suicidal. I didn't have friends. I didn't feel Hmm. like I fit in with anyone. Um, and so I'm trying to make sense of my life. And I thought, well, wait a minute, if I really am a man trapped inside of a female body, then I should be attracted to women. That just makes me a straight man. So (laughs) I just need to, I know. Right. (laughs) And so, uh, I was like, I just need to hold out then and get this sex change. and like, everything will make sense. Right. (laughs) So, um, that's just kind of the decision. I just, the path I was on. And I remember in late junior high, it was probably seventh, eighth grade, um, I was walking down the hallway and I remember exactly where I was when I started to think through, wait a minute, um, how am I going to tell my family about this? Yeah, Cause at this wow. point they just think I'm a sporty girl. They didn't know any of the stuff
2: mm. that was
1: going on behind closed doors. And uh, I was, I had been exposed to pornography at a young age, mm. sexual addictions, the whole bit. Mm. And they didn't know if they had known, they would have tried to intervene, but, and help me, but they just didn't know. So, um, Anyway, I remember where I was when I was thinking through, wait a minute, you know, my family doesn't know, you know, how are they going to handle that news? Um, Hmm. What would my grandparents think? You know, what would the neighbors think? And it just, nobody was talking about these issues back then. And I just thought, I I can't, I can't risk rejection Hmm. if I don't even have any friends and I don't want to lose my family. Hmm. And I just feel like, you know, what I need to do is just, I have two options. I can either run away, have the sex change, live happily ever after, Hmm. Um, and never see my family again. Yeah. Or I could keep my family, not have the operation, but know mm. that, you know, I'm stuck in this body and consigned to a life of suicidal despair and loneliness. Yeah, well. But I remember where I was where I actually chose option B. Mm. And I thought, this is just what you have to do to survive. Mm. And I'm going to have to try to pass to be enough of a girl that nobody will know my secret. And so I have an older sister, started growing my hair out a little bit, um, tried dating boys in high school. I thought maybe. Something's dormant in me that needs to be awakened. And so I'll try, you know, experimenting with these guys. And it it didn't awaken anything. It just made me more intensely jealous. I wanted to be the man with the woman, not the woman with the man. Hmm. And so it wasn't until my um, senior year in college, I I actually got saved as a junior in high school. Heard the gospel for the first time and literally thought, I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and all this stuff is going to go away. Because if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, right? right? Wake up the next morning equally attracted to women equally desiring to be a man. And now I'm like, oh no, you know, because nobody's talking about this in the church. (laughs) So now I really got to fool a lot of people. And so I lived Mm -hmm. a double life. And Mm -hmm. when I was in college, I got involved uh, at the University of Illinois in a campus ministry. Mm -hmm. I really did meet Jesus. I really did have a true conversion. I was growing in him, loving him. They sensed a call on my life and they were recruiting me to come on staff with this campus ministry. Wow. And I thought, oh, if they really knew who I was, they wouldn't be doing this. Yeah. So um, anyway, by my senior year, I just, I couldn't take it anymore. I was just, you can only live lukewarm double life for so long and yeah. you either have to go all out for Jesus or all yeah. out with the world. Yeah. And so I hit a point where I realized I just need to share with my campus pastor what's going on or mm. I'll never be free. I have to take mm. what's in the dark and bring it in the light mm. with a trusted leader And so I did, and I expected him to kick me out of the group. Hmm. And when I shared with him, I was 21 years old. I had never told a single soul what was going on. And when I shared with him, he just looked me straight in the eyes. He said, Linda, thank you for sharing that information with me. And I know that took a lot of courage. And I want you to know this doesn't change our opinion of you. We love you, and we want to get you the help that you need. And that just rocked my world because I thought that was not the answer I was expecting. And I walked away from that conversation, and I said, God, what was that? (laughs) And the Lord was like, Linda, that's how I feel about you. I love you. I'm sad that you're hurting and I want to get you the help that you need. And so that was 1994. That was the first step in what was to be an 11 year journey of transformation. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, we're all continually being transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. So he's still Mm -hmm. changing me, but over that 11 year period of time, Uh, as he put uh, just amazing people in my life that loved me in the middle of my mess Mm. and prayed with me and helped me to address uh, the lies that I was believing. Mm. There were reasons why I believed the lie. It was superior to be a man than a woman. There were Mm. reasons why I felt like a man trapped in a female body. There were reasons why I was attracted to women. Mm. And so over a course of time, the Holy Spirit was just using the body of Christ to minister to me and to bring me into freedom and to help me understand the truth. And uh, heal wounds in my heart that yeah, were well. contributing to those lies. And so today I'm totally content in a female body, no desires to be a man, <laughs> um, and wholly attracted to men. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in many ways I'm living the dream.
0: That's awesome. I love the testimony. And part of, uh, I got to talk with Linda last week on the phone and, and, uh, and walking through, so she's got seminar material as well, which I would recommend. So I'll go ahead and recommend that here as, you know, there's only so much we get to cover in 25 minutes, uh, but there's so much more to be answered. Uh, so lindaseiler.com, it's .com, right? Correct. Um, Seiler is S-E-I-L-E-R. Um, but there's, you can go on there, and it's about four and a half, five hours worth of content at least to be able to walk through and probably would answer a lot of questions that you might have. I know it did for Shelly and I as we were listening to it this last week. So, so I encourage you, may this be the beginning of the conversation of you diving into that content and material and being able to explore, well, how do we do this well and what does scripture have to say about these things? Um, because it's all there and Jesus is the answer. And, and so we want to make sure that we've got, you know, go back to that scripture of, of having an answer for the hope that we have. Um, with the world that we're currently living in and next week our conversation is going to be about loving our neighbor of a different race. And I mean, we're, we're navigating lots of stuff right now. And, and I don't know about you, but you can probably feel a bit overwhelmed and trying to feel like how in the world can I have answers for this? What, I don't even know what to say. And, and so our heart in this series and as we keep moving forward as, as a body is you're not to feel overwhelmed, that, that Jesus really is the answer, but we do need to do probably a little bit of study and understanding how do we provide good answers and in a way that honors God and, and understanding. So I know a big part of the conversation as, as we'll maybe change directions a little bit and I may even come back to a bit of your personal testimony because I know kind of more of the ins and outs of it. And, and I feel like there's so much there that informs how do we love our LGBTQ neighbor well. And um, so maybe let's go ahead and turn that direction a little bit. And, and if you could share um, some of your thoughts around that, and then I just might interject with some questions kind of along the way in that conversation. But maybe just begin to share, how do we love our LGBTQ neighbor well?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of times we as the church have failed in this area because we make LGBTQ issues different than any other issue. Yeah, agreed. And we treat it as if it's, if it's, it's, it's this separate category of sin right. or struggle right. that's different than anybody else. And really it's not. Right. Uh, we're all broken. We all break in different ways. Yeah, And And uh, so I think not making that the main issue like when I'm on campus ministering in the college context, you've got students that are drinking, sleeping around with their boyfriend, the girlfriend, you know, swearing, living lives that are just not Christ-centered, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But when I share the gospel with those students, I don't say, you know, you really need to quit drinking so that you can hear about Jesus. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you really need to quit sleeping around so that yeah. you can receive Jesus. Yeah. God meets us in the middle of our mess Amen. and it just Amen. doesn't matter what our brokenness or our mess is. And so we need to make Christ the center of the conversation. Yeah, that's good. Um, a gay person's greatest problem is not that they're attracted to the same sex. Yeah. Um, it, the, the greatest issue is, do they know Jesus? Yeah. Have they encountered Christ? Mm. And when they do, just like God did in my life, he'll deal with the stuff that's yeah. in our lives yeah. um, on, on his timeline.
0: Yeah, it's really good. And, and we've talked about that here, you know, where we've really emphasized that most often what we find in scripture is people find a place of belonging before they really get into a place of believing in who Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And so creating an environment where they can have a sense of belonging, I, I think, is, is a part of that conversation, too. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and maybe to that, I know one of the things you shared in your seminar material was you were in um, kind of a... a a conference setting and somebody asked the question, would I, can somebody ask about um, questions about being gay in Chi Alpha? Is that a safe place to do that? Would you mind to explain maybe even just a little bit of that context?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of times people think the, the church, the body of Christ is not a safe place to talk about those things. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's the best place to talk about those yeah. things. It's the best place for us to take off our mask, to be real with one another. Mm. Um, what I've discovered even working with people who struggle with LGBT issues is that many times they are more honest than your typical Christian mm. about our sin struggles and our issues. Yeah, and wow. that we as the body of Christ need to grow in that, mm. of just being real about where we're struggling and, and all of that. And that there's, God doesn't condemn us for you know, areas where we're still struggling, still walking out the gospel, still surrendering yeah. to Jesus yeah. and that what we need is a safe place to talk about those things rather than feeling condemned. Right.
0: And I, I think uh, so if you go to, to Linda's website you'll you'll find the kind of the tagline is is compassion without compromise. And and that for me is the definition of, of what love really is. We we so often in our culture want to define love as tolerance but that's really not. If you think the goal of our life here is one of preparation for the life hereafter, that's a big part of it. We're to bring glory to God with our lives. Then what is the goal? The goal is, is that we help people live in a God-centered eternity. And so how are we helping kind of walk that out for people? But also being able to journey with people in a way that we allow the Holy Spirit to do the work, not feeling like we're just gonna bang up against things. Somehow, in the end, what, what I have learned, so I'm just gonna say me, I can't change hearts. But I know the one who can, and so how are we doing helping appoint people to Jesus in that journey? I think is a really important part of that conversation.
1: Mm-hmm, that's really good.
0: Any thoughts there as far as how do we do that well? And I would say this: so kind of part of what I was remembering in that uh, that story that that was shared is how this this young man basically he was asking the question because he was struggling with his own thoughts and feelings.
1: Oh yeah, about
0: being gay. But but because he did not feel comfortable to share this in, in one particular Christian group, then it's like it was lost. Yes. And he wanted to know, could I safely share that here? Yeah. So still still trying to seek that out.
1: Yeah, I remember the I, I couldn't remember the story you were talking about, yeah. but now I remember where this this student had gone to a ministry and at the beginning of the Bible study, it was the night where he felt close enough to these guys. He really yeah. wanted to confide to them and say, this is what I'm struggling with. And before the Bible study started, the guys in the room just started making jokes about gay people. Yeah. And all of a sudden he realized, oh no, this is not a safe place to talk about what I'm struggling with. And yeah. so he just wondered, is there any place that I yeah. can be real about this? Yeah. So we have to be careful about you know, how, what we say and how we come across that we need to have the heart of Christ and be welcoming and compassionate towards all.
0: Absolutely, I think that's really important. Um, Maybe part of it too. I know is, so. Give you a little bit of background for for Linda in your studies. Maybe explain a little bit of what your studies have been here as of late. um, Some of the scholarship behind what you've learned, and then maybe what I'd like you to tie into that as well. And I'm going to kind of intertwine probably a bit of your story. Is um, we really do have a hope to share? Um, So maybe maybe even part of that of, of how the enemy really. I mean, this these are these are strongholds, and so. Um, one of the things you didn't necessarily share in the front part of your testimony is that is how much, once you said you were going to meet with your pastor, but it was like a day or two later that you actually got to do that, how much the, the enemy came against you in that moment where you're seeking freedom, the enemy knows that you can find freedom in Jesus, but how he wants to come and, and really do that, you know, kill, steal, and destroy. Um, that was definitely, so maybe share a bit of that, and then I'm going to kind of get into some other stuff as well.
1: Yeah, when I told my campus pastor, I I just there's something I need to talk to you about. And we couldn't get together for a day and a half. And over that next day and a half, I just really was battling suicidal thoughts and almost took my life. Um, And I didn't understand at that time just the oppression of the enemy um, that's at work in this. But we're not battling flesh and blood. There are strongholds that are feeding this really... When you look at the Genesis and just God's design for our sexuality, Mm. um, where we are naturally built women to be attracted to men and men to be attracted to women and to procreate and fill the earth and subdue it, that's God's natural design. And that when we start having desires that are contrary to his natural design, that doesn't just come from you. Like there's help right. from the enemy that, mm. what we're mm. seeing in our culture right now is a scheme of the enemy to completely destroy the concept of godly sexuality yeah. of even gender, a biological sex, male and female. The enemy just wants to destroy it altogether. And so we have to recognize there are strongholds at work in yeah. all of this. Yeah. Um, but yes, as far as some of the scholarship, my, my dissertation was, uh, case studies of 30 men and women that have experienced same sex attractions, but have been transformed. They've been set free yeah. and, um, they're living, you know, it's just not a, a struggle in their lives anymore. And so yeah. I wanted to investigate, okay, what's going on? How, yeah. do, I mean, I know my own story, right. but are there things that we can learn that we can then share with the church to help train and equip pastors and missionaries and leaders to help in this area? And, um, but and before doing all those case studies, I had to analyze and, and look at the culture. You know, what is our culture saying yeah. about homosexuality? And of course, people think you're born gay. Um, and, and it's just like, nobody even discusses that anymore. It's just assumed hmm. that um, you're born this way and you can't change. And so it takes it out of the moral realm of mm-hmm. morality for a Christian that mm-hmm. this is not God's design mm-hmm. for sexual practice and into the realm of civil rights. Mm-hmm. Because if you're born that way and you can't change, just like if you're if you're African-American or you're Chinese or you're, whatever your ethnicity is or your race, you can't change that. So we can't discriminate against you because of those things. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as you take homosexuality out of the realm of morality, and you say, no, I was born this way and I can't change, now it's a civil rights issue, and Mm -hmm. if you oppose me, you are the equivalent of the KKK, and it it neutralizes the church, essentially. Um, but what the research shows out there is that even though in the 90s there was all sorts of stuff saying, pointing towards, we think there's a gay gene. We think we have found it. We mm. will know when a baby's born, whether or not they'll turn out to be gay. Mm. There are all sorts of studies, brain structure studies, gene studies. Uh, the latest thing now is hormonal studies, mm. uh, looking at the hormone environment in the womb and all of that. And so I had to analyze all of that for my dissertation. Mm. And you know what the data shows is there's not a definitive biological substrate that causes somebody to be gay. Yeah, well. It's just we haven't there's the evidence just isn't there scientifically mm-hmm. um what what the evidence seems to point to is environmental factors mm-hmm. things in our lives that happen that influence the way we think mm-hmm. influence the way we perceive ourselves mm-hmm. because we are body soul and spirit and mm-hmm. you can't separate those three things it will affect your psychosexual development mm-hmm. it will affect how you relate to the mm-hmm. other sex mm-hmm. for example if you're a little girl and you've been molested um at, say she's 5 6 years old and a man takes advantage of her And as a little kid, she can say, you know what? That was not good. Men are not safe. I will never be vulnerable with a man. Hmm. She grows up and becomes a teenager and her sex drive kicks in. Why in the world would she all of a sudden think men are safe and she Hmm. wants to be vulnerable sexually with a man? Hmm. Because she already has it in her psyche. Something's wrong with men and they are not safe and I need to avoid them. And so women seem more appealing than men at Hmm. that point. So that's just one example of how the enemy can get in and mess with us. And, of course, today there are a lot of people who are just experimenting with homosexuality just because... You know, it's trendy, it's the thing to do, and transgender stuff too. And kids have no idea what they're opening themselves up to in the spirit realm when they're just simply rebelling and doing that out of, you know, experimenting.
0: It's good. And I would say there's a lot more. That was one of the takeaways Shelley and I had in the seminar material where you really dive in and bring up what those studies are, who these individuals are, and 10 years later, what they're saying and, and mm-hmm. almost recanting. Yep. So I would encourage you to dive into that because it's, it's really good to understand kind of the deeper heart behind some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things is, as a part of your study, you, you I know you mentioned going to and interviewing um, people who are a part of, of a gay club or something along along those lines. And And I think the question was, maybe, what do you think about Christians? I'm I'm actually trying to remember what the question Mm, was. Do you mind to share a little bit? Just, again, we need to understand, we've got to meet people where they're at in order to help lead them to the place that Jesus has for for them and and the abundant life that God has for all of us. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. As soon as you say you're a Christian, many people in the gay community will assume that you are the equivalent of Westboro Baptist Church, which for those who don't know, it's this church that does protests and they hold up picket signs that says, you know, God hates gay people and um, all of that. And it's just, it's wrong. It's, they, they are not an accurate representation of the heart of Christ. It's a, it's a total, they're misconstruing scripture and they are pharisaical. Um, they're just wrong. They're off, but they are the loudest proponents out there that you see in the media and all of that. And so when I went and I interviewed people in the gay community for some of my research, um, I felt like as I was praying beforehand, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you know what? Before you even open your mouth, you need to recognize who they think you are
2: Mm.
1: and you need to disarm that or Mm. or you're not going to be able to have an honest conversation. And so the first words out of my mouth were, I I am so sorry Mm. for how Christ has been misrepresented to you. Mm. And I want you to know I'm not coming in that spirit and uh, trying to distance myself from that uh, misperception of
0: Jesus. That's good. I mean, part of my takeaway was, you know what? Apology is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Whether or not that's been you, there's still a perception of it's you. Yeah. Um, and I think that's I think that's powerful. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of then journeying with people. So a, a great book Shelley and I walked through last summer was The Gospel Comes with a House Key, mm-hmm. Rosaria Butterfield, who, who uh, was a lesbian activist and, and basically wrote this article. A pastor reached out and said, hey, if you ever want to talk about these things, you're welcome to come over for dinner. Mm-hmm. And it just was a, an, a, an incredible example of staying in the conversation of a pastor just opening their home and saying, you know what, we can talk about these things and I'll, we'll lovingly walk with you. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a great example for us of how do we love, I would say all of our neighbors well, but I, I think in, in these conversa- this conversation of, of how do we love our LGBTQ neighbor, I think that's a great place to go. Mm-hmm. But I do want to give a little bit of a scriptural um, background or foundation for, you know, Linda mentioned uh, the beginning of creation, how we were formed. This is male and female he created and we're all created in God's image. Um, but I do know one of the, the challenges that people maybe have is as they walk through scripture, you look at both old and new Testament, of course, Paul talks about these things in Romans and Corinthians. And, and, you know, one of the, I think the questions people have is, well, Jesus doesn't necessarily speak against it. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about that. And I would say we're going to kind of touch on these things, but man, she really unpacks these things at a a deep level in seminar and all of these scripture passages, and it's great. Mm -hmm. But maybe on that particular Yeah, just
1: for by sake of analogy, Michael Brown talks about how if you're writing a cookbook for diabetics, you only need to mention sugar in the beginning to say, hey, none of these recipes have sugar because we're trying to avoid that because you're diabetic. So you're going to mention sugar very little throughout the entire cookbook. It's the same way with God's design for sexuality. In Genesis, he says, this is his design for sexuality. By the way, there are some things that are not my design, and he mentions those, and there are places in the Old and Mm -hmm, the New New Testament where those are mentioned. Mm -hmm. But the emphasis is God's original design, saying this is my design that that exemplifies the gospel. Male and female coming together, procreating, filling the earth and subduing it is really just a picture of the gospel of us coming together with Christ in in oneness with him and filling the earth, making disciples of those who follow Jesus and filling the earth. And and everything is driving towards the ultimate mission Marriage of Christ and His Bride, right, the Church, and, the and so um, yeah. That so that's why you know Scripture doesn't even Jesus. You know when he came, they say, well, Jesus didn't mention anything about homosexuality. Well, true, but he didn't mention anything about sex slave, you know, trade trafficking, right, right. Um, pornography, mm-hmm. you know, slavery. I mean, chairs with lumbar support. There are a lot of things that he just didn't mention. Yeah. You know. Um, but it doesn't mean that he is condoning those things. In fact, we know that what Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Right. And so there are things where, and they knew he was referring to the Old Testament yep. and to all the things that talk about God's design for sexuality. And mm-hmm. so Jesus was affirming. In fact, when people talked about divorce and they came to him and said, is it okay for somebody to get divorced? And he went back to Genesis and he said, this is God's design for sexuality. Right. One man with one woman for life is God's design. Yeah.
0: It's good. And I think one of the things you mentioned in the seminar is as, as Jesus unpacks, you know, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he does talk about not committing adultery. And in the end, as you talk about not committing adultery, God's design is going back to this Genesis. It's referring to that. And, mm-hmm. and so Jesus does address it, mm-hmm. um, but you need to understand it in the full context as you look at Old Testament scriptures as well. That's right. And it's good. Um, maybe just kind of a final thought of how do we um, lovingly um, walk alongside our LGBTQ neighbor and helping to unveil Jesus to them. I, maybe, I, let me say this. Is it is it a good practice to try to force change on anyone?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, just like, I think next week you're talking about Muslims and things like that. And it, like, I wouldn't force the, oh, no, you, that's not next week, is It's it? not,
0: but that's okay. But yeah. sometime we'll you're doing there, that.
1: Yeah. Um, but at any rate, Like, you can't shove the gospel down the throat of somebody who doesn't know Jesus, you know, from if they're Muslim or Buddhist or atheist or whatever. Like, you just, you can't force that to happen. You have to love people into the truth. We do the same way that Jesus does with us. He's patient with us, loves us right where we're at in the middle of our mess. Mm -hmm. And so, again, when we're dealing with people that are LGBT-identified um, even if they have no desire you know, to seek transformation or change, they don't even believe that's possible and they think you're a bigot as a Christian and all of that. We just love them right where we're at. Yeah. And we make Jesus the center of the conversation and, and trust that the Lord is going to work those other things out in, t- in due time. That's good.
0: Yeah, and I think I have shared here, and I've shared it usually in the context of as we worked in the the Middle East and and had conversations with Muslims. I've never argued someone into the kingdom of God, but I have often loved someone into the Mm -hmm. kingdom of God. So I think that's a a great place to start. I'm going to invite the music team to come back, and they're going to close us in song this morning. Uh, I usually would have people thank you for coming, but it's kind of weird with an online setting. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I do encourage you, continue to be a part of the conversation as we talk about loving our neighbors. Next week, we'll get into to loving our neighbors of a different race. Uh, I think that's uh, a very important conversation right now and how do we do that well? And I, and I think there's probably two things connected to that of there's things we need to address in the church, but then there's also ways that we live in our community. And I think both of those things are really important. So thanks, Linda. Thanks for sharing thanks so this much. morning. I appreciate Love it. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you.